The last page has been turned on my most recent read, though the book I am talking about this week is one I did finish a couple of weeks ago. Luckily, it's still nice and new and fresh in my mind or else this would be an absolute disaster. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I go on a disastrous blind date, get involved in a murder plot and have to do my best to organise a wedding. Yes, I am going back to the beginning this week with a comedic cosy crime novel by author Jesse Satanto. I need some help, so I'm going to dial A for aunties. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Though I kind of broke my fast this week and had a single cup, which I actually regret. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. It's been a good couple of months since I dug into the cosy crime novels on my shelf, though admittedly I haven't found any incredible ones that have caught my eye for a while. Recommendations, anyone, please? Anyway, I was in a bit of a reading rut and wanted something both quick and funny. I actually purchased this book as part of a double points binge on Waterstones back at the beginning of April. I think it was April, it might have been March. So it's been on my shelf for quite a while. However, a couple of weeks ago, I needed something to distract and the pop art style bright pink cover really caught my eye. I had heard some good things about the book, so figured that it would do no harm to give it a try. What happens when you mix one accidental murder with 2,000 wedding guests and then toss in a possible curse on three generations of an immigrant Chinese-Indonesian family? You get four meddling aunties coming to the rescue. When Medellin Chan ends up accidentally killing her blind date, her meddlesome mother calls for her even more meddlesome aunties to help get rid of the body. Unfortunately, a dead body proves to be a lot more challenging to dispose of than one might anticipate, especially when it is inadvertently shipped in a cake cooler to the over-the-top billionaire wedding Medi, her ma and aunties are working at on an island resort in the Californian coastline. It's the biggest job yet for the family wedding business. Don't leave your big wedding to chance. Leave it to the chans. And nothing, not even an unsavoury corpse, will get in the way of her auntie's perfect buttercream flowers. But things go from inconvenient to downright torturous when Medi's great college love and biggest heartbreak makes a surprise appearance amid the wedding chaos. Is it possible to escape murder charges, charm her ex back into her life and pull off a stunning wedding all in one weekend? Medi Chan is a wedding photographer working with her mum and her three Indo-Chinese aunties. They are preparing for one of the biggest wedding projects they have ever been given, the daughter of an Indonesian textile tycoon, Jacqueline, to the son of a billionaire, Tom Cruise. No, not that Tom Cruise. Something of a running joke, it appears, in Satanto's novels. 
We discover that though Medi is somewhat content in her life, she gave up a lot in order to maintain the status quo and ensure her mother's happiness, including a long-term relationship with her college boyfriend, Nathan. However, her mother wants her to find someone, so it isn't at all surprising, at least to anyone who has a meddling mother of any kind whatsoever, that Medi has a profile on a dating site and her mum, who set it up, has been flirting up a storm with someone called Jake. And this flirting goes way above the older woman's head. Reluctant, but almost guilted into it, Medi agrees to go on a date with the mysterious Jake. However, when she arrives, nothing is as it seems. He has told everyone he is a hotel owner, a wealthy businessman, and as Medi soon discovers, he is nothing more than a sleaze with grabby hands. Unfortunately for him, when Medi, who has been drinking too much to block out the fact that she is on this date, decides that she is too drunk to drive home, Jake offers to drive her in her car. On the drive back, he makes a pass at her and remarks that in her chats, she was far more receptive to his rather overt advances, which, yeah, that, that's not right. Feeling threatened, Medi tases him and they crash. When Medi regains consciousness, Mr. Grabby Hands is dead in the driver's seat. She contemplates dumping his body by the side of the road, but her conscience gets the better of her and she puts him in the car boot and drives home. When she gets there, her mother assembles with her three sisters, big auntie, second auntie and fourth auntie, and they come up with a solution to the problem, though not until they have run through several alternative options, one of which happens to be cutting him up and making him into a curry that they will then just throw away. Yeah, that sounds appetising, and I'm honestly not sure when I will ever eat curry again. Finally, they decide that they will take him to Big Auntie's Bakery, where she has been preparing an extremely large wedding cake for this huge society event. And they'll put him in one of the coolers because no one will A, notice this, or B, move it anywhere, giving them time to decide their next steps. The next morning, the five wedding planners arrive at the bakery and discover that the cooler has been moved by one of big auntie's well-meaning employees to the resort on Santa Lucia where the wedding is taking place. Not a disaster at all, right? Panicking more than just a little bit, understandably, at the thought that someone may discover the dead body in the cooler, Medi and her aunties head to the island and while they are trying to locate the cooler, Medi is stunned to find herself face to face with Nathan who, it turns out, is the owner of the resort. As if things couldn't get any worse, once Medi manages to convince Nathan that she needs to help her aunties and she will speak with him later, the five women discover that Jake was actually still alive when they shut him in the cooler. Things are not looking good. Every single time the five unwitting killers try to move the body off the island to prevent discovery, they are thwarted, whether it's Nathan, demands from the bridal party or something else, and eventually they decide that they will stash the cooler and dead Jake in Medi's hotel room until the coast is finally clear enough for them to get him off the island. Then someone comes up with a genius method of hiding him in plain sight, they remove Jake from the cooler and dress him in a groomsman's suit to smuggle him out. But even this isn't going to go as smoothly as they hoped, because the whole event is turning into a farce of 
epic proportions. It's Weekend at Bernie's, you know, the film with Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy, with a wedding. While Meddy's aunts are trying to sort out everything with Jake, things for the wedding party aren't exactly going well either. Jacqueline, the bride, is devastated that her wedding is on the disaster list. Her groom and his groomsmen are all very drunk and in no fit state to participate in the ceremony, so is it even going to go ahead? While the bridal party is gathering to gift the bride and groom extravagant presents from a house to a honeymoon, Meddy is getting frantic calls from second auntie to let her know that Jake's phone has been ringing constantly. And, plot twist, the calls are from the maid of honour and best friend of the bride, Maureen. This only makes things even harder. Hiding the body was already difficult, but now someone is trying to reach him because something is meant to be going down at the wedding, and he has a very big role to play in whatever that happens to be. All the while they are trying to hide the body, get to the bottom of whatever Jake and Maureen were planning at the wedding, and deal with a drunken groom's party, Meddy is also having to try and get to the bottom of her very confused and conflicted feelings when it comes to Nathan. Because it turns out he's not going to just let things go. He clearly still wants a relationship with her, and the fact that they're all at his resort has their feelings bubbling to the surface. What's a girl to do? When it comes to books by Jessie Satanto, I have to admit that I discovered her because of a book that I reviewed and read on NetGalley, a book I enjoyed so much I have not only reviewed it for the podcast this year, but I also purchased a copy because I wanted to add it to my cosy crime collection, which is growing by the month. I had also heard about these books and despite loving Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers, I decided to keep Dial A for aunties for a rainy day, of which we admittedly have many in the UK. Summer has been one massive ball of November rain this year, unfortunately. I was sure that given Satanto's comedic writing and her amazing ability to create an older character who was immediately relatable and likeable, I would enjoy her first novel, at least her first cosy crime. So when I was trying to build up my points on Waterstones, I have managed to spend £100 very quickly. In fact, I've spent several hundred pounds very quickly this year. Some people love shoes, I love books. (laughs) This book sprang to mind. However, when it arrived, I was in the middle of reading something else. So it just got stuck on the shelf beside the other cosy crime novels in my collection. This genre isn't unfamiliar territory. I know what I like and I like what I know. So I didn't immediately head over to Goodreads to check out reviews or scores or anything else as I occasionally do when veering and venturing into unfamiliar territory. So I didn't see any reviews until I was posting my own. Whenever I talk about reviews, I always say the same thing and you can probably say it along with me. No matter what other people say in their reviews, my opinion is mine and mine alone. You really should form your own view about a book by reading it because the opinions you read or hear are those of the person who wrote them. I will admit that sometimes I am influenced by the views of others when it comes to TV and movies and I can be swayed by the masses But when it comes to books, the reviews may trigger a latent view that simmered as I was reading. But that's it. 
all of that said, my review is always 100% mine and absolutely how I feel about the book. If there is anything that reinforces the whole everyone is different statement, it is definitely reviews, whatever they're for. If we were all the same, then everything from books to TV shows to food even would be incredibly limited because variety simply wouldn't need to exist. As always, I do want to give you a balanced perspective because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share them or agree with them at all, and they may have read something entirely different into the book when they read it, but that doesn't make their opinion or mine any less valid or right. This is how they felt about it. Of course, I'm not saying that you should let any of these reviews, including my own, sway you into picking up the book or not. But sometimes reviews can help you to make a decision about whether to read it if you're not sure, especially if you've liked other books that the reviewer has read or, in my case, talked about. And if you're concerned about the content of a book, whether it contains specific situations that you're anxious about reading or don't enjoy, then a review is a really good way to find that out because not all books contain trigger warnings on the front page. That's a relatively new thing. Whatever, and that is the name of the reviewer by the way, it's not a just a whatever, gave this book just one star and I can't help thinking that their name indicates how they felt about this book as a whole. They said, this is basically just another Wattpad story. Unlikely, ridiculous events over dramatic scenes that were supposed to be funny but fell flat, the usual whiny Mary Sue as the heroine, and the most boring male lead with no apparent self-respect. There was no depth to any of the characters. They were just there to aid the story, and the story wasn't even good. I don't understand the rating. It doesn't feel like a fluffy read because everyone is so horrible and boring. It's not funny nor well thought out, it lacks depth, and the characters are cartoonish and silly. There is no chemistry or fear of consequences, and there is no character development. Realistic reactions to situations, feelings, taking responsibility? What are those? Well, don't expect the characters in this book to have an answer. They're just here to hide a body and talk too much and excuse every mistake the heroine could possibly make. It's so bland. What was the point of this story? What was this story written in the first place? It wasn't entertaining or charming or any of the positive things a standalone romance can be while being a little silly. It doesn't have a good message. I was not expecting something groundbreaking, but this is no feel-good book. There was too much lying for that. And Nathan doesn't even have a personality. His entire character consists of being rich, influential, hot, and being an official doormat to the heroine. It's stupid. Whatever certainly didn't pull their punches, and they weren't the only ones. Though the good to poor ratio is nicely balanced, the negative reviews on Goodreads especially seem to focus on specific things, as I am actually finding many of the lower rated reviews tend to. There are almost 1,500 one-star ratings and reviews for Dial A for Aunties, and many of them mention confusion over the genre, a lack of character development, and an unrealistic plot as their issues. This book is currently the first in a duology, and being honest, 
As Satanto has now seemingly moved into the thriller sphere, one I will not be following her into, I don't see there being a third book. Dial A for Aunties was released on the 27th of April 2021, so it's really an only a few years old and so far has attracted 80,160 ratings and 14,930 written reviews, which isn't that bad for a book that's only just over two years old. Overall, the book has a score of 3.73 out of 5 on Goodreads, which, when I first saw it, did surprise me just a little bit. For comparison, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice Murderers has a 4.07. As I have already mentioned, there are a considerable number, almost 1,500, one-star ratings, and some of the reviews are quite detailed and incredibly biting. In contrast, 62% of the overall ratings and reviews were four and five star, which isn't bad, though not quite the ratio I have come to expect from the books I've been looking at, even the ones I didn't enjoy as much as I had hoped. Though this book was not fantasy or romance and therefore doesn't appear to have attracted as many hate readers, if any at all, as so many in those particular genres tend to, There were a number of people who admitted that they had not finished the book and then gone on to leave a one-star review explaining why. I don't think I will ever sit here and say, I think that if you DNF a book, you should rate a book one star, no matter the reason you didn't finish it. But as always, opinions are personal and therefore you do you. Everyone is entitled to review and feel how they want about something as long as no one gets hurt. I just choose to disagree with you on that particular thing. Interestingly, a number of people shared very similar views when it came to the negative points they found in the book. Several commented on the convenience of adding a lesbian relationship at the end to justify certain negative behaviours, while others weren't happy about the somewhat cliched Asian family behaviour. Now, Being neither a lesbian nor Asian, I don't feel that I can comment with any experience or qualifications on these two particular matters without causing some offence, something I definitely do not want to do. So I am simply going to focus on what I do know when it comes to books. And that's what I liked and didn't like without treading in sensitive waters. If my life has taught me anything, and I kind of hope it has, it's that people will sometimes dislike something just to be different, to not be one of the crowd. We can take notice of it or not. That's our choice. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or a TV program, every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it. So they are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure. Though, to be honest, I would just ask a friend. Because everyone's opinion is different. When it comes to positive reviews, there were quite a few five-star ones to choose from. And I have to admit that I was surprised to see that some of them were actually illustrated in a manner similar to the reviews I often see when looking through Goodreads at a fantasy novel. A number of these reviews also gave away considerable plot elements that I don't like to spoil, so it was a bit harder than I anticipated to find a five-star review that was neither too long, too short, or filled with memes and spoilers. But I did. Hilly gave the book 4.5 stars and rounded them up to five for the sake of the limited Goodreads algorithm, which they really need to sort out. 
Having listened to the audiobook, which is narrated by Risa May, she said, There is nothing better than cozying up with this book and reading it in one sitting in the middle of summer. I wish I could have done just that, completely immersing myself in this crazy, funny and ultimately heartwarming story. It's a quick read full of heart, both for the family and rom-com aspects. I seriously loved every single character from Medi, couldn't get enough of her, to the aunties and to the cutest love interest that has ever been written. I struggled to pick the aunties apart, but does that even matter in the end? They are such original characters. They made me choke literally every time they talked. Also, the plot. I can't believe it worked out so well. I was hesitant at first, but my doubts were absolutely unfounded. Basically, for the entirety of this book, I was like, um, where is this going to go? There's no way this mess can be fixed. And then it was in the weirdest but coolest fashion. I'm just... I loved this. The most insane stuff happened in the last 20 to 30%. At one point, I couldn't believe what I was reading. So yeah, that was a recipe for success. The audiobook was brilliant. The narrator has such a cute voice. I'm glad I decided to read it that way. Can I watch the movie and have the second instalment already? As always, though I like to go into a new book with an open mind, I do really enjoy looking at other people's views after I've finished reading. Sometimes they will point out something that was niggling at me as I was reading and clear up the thought I was already having. And others, I will 100% disagree with what they're saying because I felt very differently. Of course, we're all different and want different things from a book. And when it comes to reviews, we can't see into the head of every reviewer who has left some feedback on a website. Even we look at even if we look at every opinion they've left of every single book. Though some reviews may contain similar views or opinions, it makes sense that they aren't all exactly the same wherever you're looking. So whether you're looking on sites like Amazon, Goodreads or Storygraph or chatting with people in a book club, take every review with a pinch of salt. Trust your friends or people you know have enjoyed the same books as you before you look at the overall score and take it as read that this book isn't one you're going to enjoy. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Dial A for Aunties by Jessie Satanto, completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? It was exactly what I needed at the time I picked it up. It had me laughing loud enough that I annoyed my downstairs neighbours almost as much as my upstairs neighbours annoy me when they hoover at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Seriously. Personally, I found the book very funny. I know that there were moments that were meant to be a little bit darker and more serious, especially the incident in the car between Medi and her over-eager and definitely unpleasant suitor and his unwanted attentions. Admittedly, that was not a situation anyone wants to find themselves in, isolated, vulnerable, in peril. That she didn't consider her safety when she tased him in a moving car just astonished me. However, the aftermath and her family's reaction to the situation just seemed to wipe a lot of that away. You forget that when someone's talking about chopping a body up and making it into curry. The book relies a lot on apparent cliches in much the same way Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers did. The sort of cliches you've seen in shows like Fresh Off the Boat or Crazy Rich Asians. 
However, as I have already mentioned in this episode, as someone who is not a member of that community, I don't feel in any way qualified to comment on whether that is an accurate depiction of the way these families work on a regular basis. I have seen examples of how Jewish households work when visiting certain relatives during my childhood, and I feel I could comment on them without offending anyone, apart from maybe my family. However, that is very different. I have been a part of those households and a part of those conversations. At the end of this book, there is an author's note from Satanto in which she mentions her own family dynamic and how this is very similar to things she's experienced personally, hopefully minus the awful date experience and the murder. So she is using her own family's example to create these characters. Medi's relationship with her mother is actually one that I am sort of jealous of in some very weird ways. Her mother would clearly do absolutely anything for her, and in this book, she and her sisters go to such extreme lengths to ensure that there is no evidence, no crime, no nothing. That she has made it into something of a farce is greatly enjoyable for at least this reader. Someone mentioned that it had a very Weekend at Bernie's vibe about it, and I can see where they're coming from. In fact, I have already commented as such. Though I think that particular opinion specifically came originally from a one-star review, the comment is a fair one. I saw that as a high point though, but I am going to blame my love of 80s movies for seeing it as such and finding it funny. I enjoyed this book so much that before I had finished the second chapter, I was already ordering the second and final book in the series, Four Aunties and a Wedding. Though I'm not going to be reviewing that one, I will go so far as to say that it suffers seriously and unfortunately from what I like to refer to as sequel syndrome. I am going to be writing a blog post about that one this week, so head over to Being Bookish to find out what I mean by that if you aren't already familiar with the term. Though there were many moments in this book at least that I could easily identify with as someone who spent a lot of her life living with elderly relatives, the conversation between Medi, her mother and her aunts about the use of the eggplant or aubergine to us Brits emoji in text conversations with Medi's dead date was hilarious. The fact that her mother took it to be the prospective boyfriend stating he was a good cook had me chuckling away over a cup of tea that I was very glad I hadn't then taken a sip of well when she mentioned the water droplets being something else incredibly innocent. Oh, how funny. Seriously, that had me laughing. That her mother had taken such a liberty in catfishing this date, pretending to be Medi in order to find her a suitable boyfriend, was both unbelievable but also not. It's a plot device that has been used several times by an anxious mother desperate to find her offspring a partner. Well, at least in films and books. Of course, it doesn't usually end up with the family having to hide a murder victim, but that's the unique element this story depends on to keep you engaged. Medi's aunts are wonderful, though there were moments, admittedly, that I found myself a little confused due to the way that Medi and the story narrative referred to them by numbers rather than names. Of course, they did each have their own position within the family, with 
big auntie being the oldest sister, the dominant and controlling one who everyone defers to because that's the way it is apparently meant to work. Wish someone would tell my siblings that as I am the oldest. But anyway, less of that. The youngest auntie is referred to as fourth auntie, even though there are only three because Medi's mum is third in birth order. So I'm imagining that when the children of second auntie speak, they are big auntie, third auntie and fourth auntie. But anyway, that's irrelevant. Fourth auntie is by far the most aware, the most with it, the most modern. She is the entertainer, the auntie who understands the ways of modern dating and has adapted to American life in a way that her older sisters haven't despite having lived in the country for many years. I have to be honest, this difficulty in separating the aunties is possibly the one thing I had the biggest issue with the entire book. Sure, there were plot points I questioned, such as Medi's use of a taser in a fast-moving car, but I could just shrug that off as a sort of needed-to-happen-in-order-to-get-to-the-rest-of-the-story moment. However, the strange merging of the three aunties and Medi's mum to an extent into one large character, though they were still four people, obviously, sometimes forced me to reread a few sections of chapters in order to clarify things in my mind and get straight who was doing what, where. Throughout the book, Medi looks back at her past and a relationship with someone she met at college, Nathan. When we read her flashbacks, everything is going well and there is this disconnect between the life she has and the life she had. So why isn't she living a happy married life with Nathan now? Why exactly is her mum making her go on dates with unsuitable men that she has been catfishing? Eventually, we discovered that it was Medi's family loyalty that led her to split up with the love of her life when he proposed and asked her to move with him to New York. A brand new start. As much as it pains me to admit it, this frustrated me more than just a little bit. As much as Medi seems to want to blame the maternal guilt she feels her mother piled onto her when the four sisters decided to start a wedding business in which they expected Medi to be the photographer. I understand maternal guilt. Believe me, I think that most people do. But Medi not only dropped her own dreams, but dumped her boyfriend in the harshest way in order to get him to leave her. It seems as though she is martyring herself on the altar of her mother's own ambitions and though resentful and bitter about it, just lets it fester. When she meets up with Nathan again, you can sense that there is unfinished business between them and he is only too happy to help her, even though he has absolutely no idea what is going on. He is dropped into this unusual situation and though is completely in the dark, he doesn't hesitate in offering Medi his assistance because he still has feelings for her. He is not afraid to show himself as vulnerable and this is something that endears himself quite quickly to Medi's family, further proving that if she had given him a chance back when they were in college, they may never have actually had to break up. Though the book has romance elements in it, I don't think that was the core of the story. At least it wasn't for me. The effort that the aunties mostly go to in order to help Medi conceal the dead man they have been moving around Nathan's hotel in a cooler and then a morning suit truly gives this book a comedic, cosy crime feel. And that is what I'm judging it on rather than the romance, which is there but is definitely not determining where Dial A for Aunties has been shelved on my bookcase.
Will I Read Anything Else by Jessie Satanto? Looking at her back catalogue, it actually appears I have depleted it of cosy mysteries with Dial A for Aunties, Four Aunties and a Wedding, and my all-time favourite, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. The other books on her list are either suspense or YA, rom-coms, or a combination of all three, and I can't say that they are something I am interested in by this author, or by many others. I mean, I like rom-coms and I like YA, but I'm not a huge fan of suspense. Am I saying that I think she should limit herself to just these genres? No, not at all. But I am definitely saying that I am not interested in reading the other works in her catalogue. Though I do feel that Four Aunties and a Wedding was a weaker novel than the other two I've mentioned. If there were a third book in the series, I would probably read it out of curiosity just to see where she can take it. As for any further additions to Vera's story, I'd be all over that like chocolate sauce on a Knickerbocker glory. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are so many cosy crime novels that I have already reviewed and would recommend that I am just going to suggest you give my playlist a listen and at some point, really soon, I will post a blog on my website that gives you a rundown of my favourites. Check out the link in the episode notes. Where has August vanished to? Just out of curiosity, I can honestly say I am not sure. One minute I am staring February in the face and dreading my 40-something birthday, and the next minute we are only four months away from Christmas. Just a few days ago, I checked out my list of pre-orders and realised that a list which was around 20 books at the beginning of the year is now showing that I am only anticipating six, yes, six, releases before December. All of them, well, most of them are beautiful special editions. But it's really weird to realise that this huge list I have made somewhere back in January is now so small. I've no doubt that it will change, but as it stands, my new bookcase will be taking quite a bit of time to fill. And that's probably not a bad thing. Last week, I mentioned thinking about a book buying ban. Well, that has decidedly gone nowhere. With the addition of new bookshelves, I am no longer in need of resisting buying, though my bank balance would probably thank me. However, I am going to possibly be doing a little bit of an unhaul in the coming months, as I consider books I didn't enjoy as much as others, and some I may never even do more than admire. There are going to be a few that I will never open or read. I just have to figure out how I'm going to go about disposing of these culled pieces, given the reduced number of charity shops accepting books in my area, and the fact that some of these do happen to be special editions with gorgeous sprayed edges and end pages. Oh well, I will cross that particular bridge when I come to it. But if you have any recommendations or ideas, do let me know. As I do now have these additional shelves to fill, if you have any book recommendations, perhaps a sci-fi author or maybe some light-hearted or steamy romance you think I need to try out, or any other genre you think I should add to my list, go for it, please. Send me those book suggestions. 
I am always interested in being introduced to new books and authors. So you can email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I will be sure to check them out. Don't forget if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website beingbookish.co.uk. I promise I am getting around to it. Things have just been very busy of late. A lot of stuff going on outside of the podcast that I don't really want to talk about, but it's not to do with me specifically. Well, that's it for this week and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen. You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews and on X, you know, formerly Twitter, as Being underscore Bookish. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and I have just received another new book. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>